You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Good morning. As always, it's so good to be together, gathered together around God's Word and hearing His voice proclaimed. I want to encourage you this morning to open, if you have a Bible, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Oh, Sadie, it's okay. What about to Deuteronomy chapter 4? We're going to be reading a little bit later in the passage than we did, although we'll be looking really at the majority of the chapter this morning. So it's a little bit hard to kind of go through, and we've read a lot of it already. We'll read a few more verses here in a moment, and we'll be focusing in on the later part of the, of the chapter, beginning around verse 32. So that's where we'll be looking this morning. I'd like to remind us, so you know, uh, we're taking a bit of a departure, as we do usually a couple of times a year. Uh, regularly at Paramount, what we do, as you know if you've been here before, is we take a book of the Bible or a portion of Scripture and we just work through it. So week by week, you know exactly what to expect. We're on the next several verses from where we were the week before. But every once in a while, there's the exception that proves the rule, and that is that a couple of times a year, we'll take a little bit of a break to uh, think about something, a topic that the pastors think would would be helpful for our church to consider and think about. And so for this month, in the month of July, we're thinking together about how and why we love the Bible. Why is it that, that we do this sort of thing with the Bible, where we would read just verse upon verse, week after week after week, and try to understand what God is telling us? Why, why would we do it this way, like this? And so for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to be considering together, how and why we love the Bible. And so I encourage you, and I hope that as as we hear this message and in the weeks to come, that this would be a time for you to be renewed and refreshed in your love for the Bible, that all of us would come to understand Scripture in a new and, and, and more powerful way. That there would be things about the way that God speaks to us that we, we didn't really realize before. And so that's the goal in our time, that we really uh, often take the Bible not seriously enough. And perhaps now we might take it more seriously. Let's read the, these verses together. I'm going to begin in verse 32 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you'd like to read along with me. Indeed, ask now about the earlier days that were before your time. Since the day that God created mankind on the earth and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything been done like this great thing or has anything been heard like it? That is that God would make a covenant with his people speaking to them. Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God ventured to go to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, just as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is no other besides him. Out of the heavens, he let you hear his voice to discipline you. And on earth, 
he let you see his great fire and you heard his words from the midst of the fire because he loved your fathers. He chose their descendants after them and he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you the nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land as an inheritance as it is today. Therefore, know today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today so that it may go well for you and your children after you, that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Let's pray briefly. Our God, we pray your blessing on the reading of your word. We pray that in this time together, you would allow us to hear the words that you have for us with power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we consider these verses together, what we see is this powerful image this powerful image of God speaking from fire. And as I've considered this this week, there's, I was trying to think of some way to kind of wrap my mind around what is it that, that I want to really try to communicate this morning that I think God is telling us in a text like this all of these years later after, even though you and I aren't the original audience of this. You know, the book of Deuteronomy is essentially a sermon. It's, it's something that was spoken by, by Moses to the people as they were getting ready to enter the promised land. They were, they were having been rescued out of Egypt, having wandered in the wilderness. Now it's time to communicate, to remind them, this is what God has done for you. This is how you are to live. But I believe that these words are speaking to us today, all of these years later, thousands of years later. And it's so good for us to hear and consider them. And as I've been thinking about this, one image that kind of came to mind that tried to help me wrap my mind around this is this principle that some of you may know if you're, some of you are computer people, and you computer people probably know about Moore's Law. This guy named Gordon Moore, who in the 60s, I'm going to probably butcher it a little bit, but I'm trying to give a general, general consensus. He was predicting that essentially the amount of, of transistors that you could fit on a little chip to process computer information would continue to shrink. And as that happened, the price of, of computing would go down. And that essentially, year after year, exponentially, the, what you could do with a computer would go up and up and up and up. And that's what we've seen. You, you remember, you've probably seen pictures of some of the earliest computers where they took up entire rooms and all of that stuff. But by 1969, they're, they're able to use computers to put a man on the moon. But if you were to compare the computing power of that computer for the Apollo missions to what you have in your pocket if you have an iPhone, it's, it's incredible, the difference. They were able to accomplish amazing things with, with just a bit of the technology. And I want to suggest to you that there's a, it's a helpful comparison for us to think about. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 here, we have a voice speaking from the, from the fire, we have amazing things. This is, this is reaching to the moon sort of things. This is an incredible thing that God is doing. But I want to suggest to you that if you have a book like this, if you have one of these on your phone, if you have access to this, you have more of God's voice speaking to you than this thunderous voice from the mountain. 
We have access to more power, more of God speaking to us and giving us his promises, his word, speaking to our lives and our world through this than the people who, who were hearing this message of Deuteronomy the first time. And, and if I could state it simply, that's what I want us to try to capture this morning. I think we hear something like that and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that sounds true. But hold on a second. It's really true. The voice proclaiming from the fire. You must realize where these people had come from. Rescued out of Egypt. You heard of them as we read through. God himself personally sent down these plagues in Egypt where the sun was going dark. Everything was falling apart. The firstborn even died. They were rescued out of Egypt. They were brought through the Red Sea. Guys, the water split so they could walk through the middle of it. And they come to this place, to the mountain, and this great cloud, and a thunder, and lightning, and this blast, the voice of God speaks. Now take all of that and crank it up times a thousand. That's what you and I have today. And I want to try to convince us of that today, because I think if we read this text and we hear what God is saying, that's what we should be hearing if we see this in light of all of scripture, we will know that we have even more of God speaking to us. That's what we have in this book. But before, before we can go too far, I want to direct our eyes to, to one particular place in this. and I didn't write the verse down, so it's 35. Sorry, I had to find it. In verse 35, you were shown these things so that you might know the Lord. We need to hear that. I think before we delve too far into talking about the Bible, we need to hear this piece first. Why did God reveal himself? Why has he decided to show himself through all of these works and finally speaking in a voice that can be heard and can be written down? Why did he do that? He did that so that we might know him. This is a bit of a thing that I just want to say beforehand because we can get, in talking about the Bible sometimes, we can sometimes put it on too much of a pedestal and it almost seems like maybe we're worshiping the Bible as if this is God. That's not what's happening here. What we're doing instead is seeing what God is saying here, that the whole reason God has decided to reveal himself is so that we might know him. So let's not lose sight of that. That's, a, that's an overarching statement that I want us to remember for the entire month as we say a lot of really, really great things about the Bible and we say things about its, its power and what it's doing in our lives. We don't mean to say that the Bible is God. What we mean is that the Bible helps us to know the only living God. That's what's happening here this morning. That's what I want us to remember. And that actually is the first thing that I want us to see from this text. We're talking about the voice from the fire this morning. The, the voice from the fire. And the first thing I want us to know about the voice from the fire is that the voice from the fire is the voice of truth. Hear that? The voice from the fire is the voice of truth. You can hear it in these words. 
There's this stark picture of who God is in contrast to all of these other false gods. We hear, there is none like him. Has anyone ever heard the voice of God and lived? No. God's giving of revelation is is made authentic and real in the lives of these people because they've seen his faithfulness. They've seen what he can do. And God speaking like this is a way of stamping that this is true, this is real. It's a voice from the fire. God, this voice, is the very voice that spoke and created the universe. That's the voice that they're hearing from the fire. That's the voice that you and I have access to when we read our Bibles. The very voice that created the universe and everything that's in it. That's what we hear. We don't want to be a people who run after created things. Instead, we want to hear the voice of truth. The voice of the creator. That's the voice that speaks to us from the fire. You know, I think sometimes when we hear this kind of idea about truth, declaring this is right, and I know that it is right, we can be accused of, you know, maybe being kind of, I don't know, bigoted or intolerant, although some of the words don't work right. You know the accusations that get thrown at you. If you're someone who claims that the Bible speaks truth and we know the truth because we have the Bible, these sorts of things get thrown around. And I want to try to help us to be able to to unpack that and think about that a little bit. Because, you know, at one level, truth is truth. There's no way for us to get around that. My believing something is true doesn't change whether or not it's real. If I I believe that there's no traffic coming and I step out into the street and a bus is coming, I'm going to get hit by a bus. It doesn't matter what I believed about the bus, right? Sometimes people talk about belief in this sort of magical way as if somehow if I believe it enough, it's going to change reality. But we all know on a day-to-day basis that's that's not how things work. But there's there's another kind of more complicated way that I want us to, to try to think about this. And the way that God gives us truth in his word. There there are things I think that that we could do better as Christians because there are things that sometimes we get caught up in in fighting and arguing about. And I think part of it's because we don't understand exactly what God has done by giving us truth in his word. And and I want to maybe try to help us think about it like this. And I think think you'll understand what I'm getting at. It's almost a... a, uh, just regular part of speech to talk about something being a, a North Star, right? It's, it's an interesting metaphor to think about because, you know, none of us have navigated, probably very few of us have ever had to navigate via the stars. That, that's, we have GPS on our phones for that. We, we don't need necessarily to navigate that way. But we know that uh, in former times and in, in before there was this technology, sailors out at sea would have nothing. They would have the vast ocean where one part of the ocean looks exactly like the other part of the ocean, and there's no way to tell where you are. And if you're looking up at the stars, you're looking up at the sky, they're all moving around. Of course, except for that one star. Polaris, the North Star, it it sits right there in the same part of the sky, and it just looks as if everything is moving around it. 
And if you can find that one place, if you can find that true north, you can know where you're going. You can figure out the rest of the general direction of where you're headed. And it's such a common thing that it's entered into our speech, even though none of us have, have ever really, really used that or had to do that. I think that that metaphor is interesting. Even though we aren't sailors, we don't do this kind of thing, there's, there's something about this that, that just sort of lasts, that's made it into our speech. But I think that it's interesting to think about because when you're traveling, when you're steering a boat, you don't steer by uh, looking at the North Star, right? You steer by actually moving the rudder. And it's moving the rudder, or however you're moving the rudder, depending on your boat. That's how you actually move in the direction that you're headed. Well, so I want to help us to think about these two different things. One is finding our orientation, finding our direction. And the other is the actual steering, the moving of the rudder, the changing of the direction. And here's what happens sometimes with the way some of us have read the Bible. That is, we've learned that for us to head in that direction, imagine, imagine it like this. You're a, you're a new sailor. You're entering the boat for the first time. And you're trying to learn how to steer the boat. And an old, wise sailor, he comes in, and he looks in the direction, and he, and he figures out the navigation, and he does the whole thing, and he sets the rudder in just the right place. And he says, this is it, this is the direction, and he leaves. And then what you decide to do is leave that rudder in exactly the same place, build a contraption around it so it never moves, and it just stays exactly where the old man told you to leave it. Will that get you to your destination? The answer is no. Because the, the waves and the winds are continuing to change and shift. The actual uh, steering needs to change depending on the, the orientation, depending on where you're headed. And I think that this particular thing happens in all sorts of ways. Because, because sometimes we can confuse the steering for the orientation. We don't realize that what's happening is the Bible is giving us a direction. It's telling us where we're headed, but it doesn't always tell us exactly what we need to do to get there. Let's, let's think about uh, some examples of how this kind of plays out. One example from scripture that I think of is found in Acts chapter 16, where Paul, it says that Paul came to, Der to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there, namely Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to leave him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. But then we read in other places, you could go to Galatians, and you would find that the same Paul had another disciple named Titus, and he refused to let Titus be circumcised. And so the question is, Paul, which way is a Christian supposed to live? Are we supposed to do this or are we not supposed to? Which one is it? That is an issue of the rudder. In one direction, it has to move one way. In one, it's the other. Paul is not looking to scripture in those instances to find the exact thing. What he's doing is not contradicting himself. What he's doing is he's looking at the direction that he should be headed. He's seeking to have the gospel clarified and proclaimed in all the world. And he's asking himself, what's the best way to do that right now and here? He has an orientation that's guiding his directions, but it may look a little bit different depending on where he is and, what it, and where, he's, where he's living. 
We can see the same sort of thing in Scripture where Paul and Barnabas have a, have a, a fellow co-worker uh, named John, Mark. And he's traveling along with them, and they have a bit of a falling out. And, and Paul and Barnabas can't agree. You can read about this in Acts chapter 15. They can't agree on whether or not they should continue to bring this guy along. Paul thinks, uh-uh, he abandoned us. He left us. We're not going to do it. He needs to stay. Barnabas is like, hey, come on, give him another chance. Which one of them is paying attention to Scripture? Which one of them is wrong? I actually want to suggest to you that this is a case where we see that believers might have a difference of opinion on exactly what the correct course of action is, even if they have the same guiding star. And, we, and they should allow for grace with one another in these sorts of instances. We see, of course, these things play out. Uh, historically, you know, Baptists don't like dancing. There's no dancing. Um, you know, you've maybe seen uh, some of the movies about that, or maybe you've been a part of a congregation where that was a thing. I know uh, when I was at uh, Baptist seminaries and people got married, there was no dancing at the seminaries, which is just, I don't know. If you've been to a Paramount wedding, you know um, there's, there's usually dancing. <laughs> which one's right? Should a Christian dance? Should a Christian not dance? You're asking, which is the right place for the rudder? Where do I lock the rudder down? Can I just figure out, can you give me the right place to steer, put it there, and then just leave it, and I don't have to do anything? And God says, no, you don't have that. What I'm giving you is my word to direct you, to lead you, to guide you. We might ask again, which apps should a Christian have installed on their phone? You know, there are some, I think that would be clearly not, but for the most part, your social medias, your different things, the answer is, well, it depends. What are you doing? Why are you there? We have the guiding principles that God has given us, but there's no place to, to just stick the rudder. What does this mean for us? Here's what it means. This is what we need to do. And this is what this looks like for us. What's the application? We need to commit to a regular habit of reorientation. We must commit to a regular habit of reorientation. Because don't misunderstand me. By saying, well, it depends, that doesn't mean, well, anything goes. That's not what we believe. That's not what the Bible says. But if we have God's word, if we have him speaking and giving us this direction, this vision of where we're headed and what our life is supposed to look like, what we have are some questions that we can ask ourselves. They're the same sorts of questions that God gave Israel when he gave them these 10 words or 10 commandments. And he told them in this passage, this is what you're going to look like as my people in this place. Those Ten Commandments are structured around these commandments about the relationship to God, the relationship to others, and finally even getting down to the very heart when it talks about coveting or not coveting. And so those are questions that we can ask as we commit ourselves to a regular habit of reorientation. We can ask, we can ask ourselves questions like this. Am I loving God with my actions? Am I loving God with my actions? That's the first place that God points his people in looking at the Ten Commandments. 
our uh, affection for God should be first among everything. The second question we can ask is, am I loving my neighbor? What does the Bible say about how you are loving and interacting with those who are around you? It will give you some specific directions on what you should and shouldn't do. Lying, stealing, these things that we do not do. We can look back and reorient ourselves because we'll know if my heart is heading off in this direction, if I'm not loving, if my actions aren't showing that I'm being loving, that I'm not on the direction that God would have me be on. And God's word gives us that guidance. It helps us to know the track that we should be on, and it helps us to steer in the right directions. It gives us the true north. It gives us the truth. Finally, we can ask ourselves, is my heart desiring anything else? Am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor? Is my heart desiring anything else? And if we're asking these sorts of questions, we will find that the Bible speaks to us. It answers these questions in spades. You will hear it again and again. As you've already heard it proclaimed several times from this passage, you will serve God's, in verse 28, the work of human hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor smell anything. You will seek other things, he says, but you must not. Church, this morning of all mornings, we should be reminded how easy it is for us to stray. How easy it is for sin to to get a foothold and get a grip in our lives. And we must be fast to see it, to repent, to reorient ourselves in the direction that God would have us going the path of truth. Of course, this task of reorienting ourselves is going to look different for everyone. And it's always a coming back to Scripture and asking, well, what, is, what does Scripture tell me? But, you know, for some of you, you're going to be able to do a, a deep dive looking at uh, study resources from the original language, and you're going to have all this time and effort to put into it. Some don't have that sort of time because of the the place that God has called you to now in your life. But no matter what, there is a way for you to take some of this word, to get it into your head, to reflect on it, to to maybe memorize just a piece of it so you can repeat it throughout your day or listen to it in in an audio format while you're cleaning or or driving or, or doing something else where you might consider what God is saying and how God is directing your life. If we are not committed to this task of reorienting ourselves, then we will not find ourselves anywhere near God in the end. We will end up lost at sea somewhere else. So we have truth, but truth, you know, by itself doesn't exactly do a whole lot. There's something unique about this sort of truth, this voice speaking from the fire that we hear, and that is that this voice, the voice from the fire, gives meaning. That's the second thing that I want us to hear this morning. The voice from the fire gives meaning. 
You can hear here in verse 30 where it says, when you are distress, in distress and all these things happen to you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. You hear this listening to God. Even though you, you will be led astray, you will do these other things, God, you, we should return. We hear in verse 32 and verse 33 these rhetorical questions. Has anything been done like this great thing? Or has anything been heard like it? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you've heard it and lived? Or has a God ventured to go to take for himself a nation from within another nation as your God did? Of course, the, the effect of a rhetorical question is to make the hearer answer the question when you hear it. Has this ever happened? No. Has anyone ever done this? No. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Absolutely not. We can't imagine it. And yet, this is what God does here. He speaks in a, in a voice that gives the hearers a new and renewed sense of who they are. Look together with me at verse 37. Because he loved your fathers, he chose their descendants after them. And he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power. I hear at least two things there that come out of God's love for his people. We hear his love, and in that love, he chooses these people. One nation out of another. He says, these folks, they're mine. And that happens before these people are even born. They're not even alive yet, but they are born into this promise of God. Before you are even around, God is speaking. He is declaring, I have chosen them. And, and after that, he says that they're rescued he did for you in Egypt. He brought his people out personally. He personally brought you from the land of Egypt. We hear God's rescue. Who are these hearers? They're those who have been chosen, those who've been rescued. Brothers and sisters, that's you and I as well. If we know Jesus, as we, as we trust in him, and as the spirit does his work in our lives, we know that we are sinners. But we place our trust in Jesus knowing that he died for our sins. We know that we are these people as well. Chosen, rescued. They have a deep sense of who they are. Give me a quick second here. My printout missed a whole section here. I'll pull up, a, pull it up on my phone, and we got it. We got to back up. No worries. So these folks have a sense of who they are, and that's how that's how we should be too. And one way that I think is helpful for us to think about that is by comparing two different sorts of identity. 
there's a way to kind of talk about this, and I, it's, it's sort of a, a thing that others do, but kind of adapting it myself, and that is to think about a, a thin sense of identity versus a, a thick sense of identity. And I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons we, we love the Bible, one of the reasons that God's voice gives meaning is because it provides a, a thick sense of what meaning is. One of the a few ways that we might think about the contrast between, between these two things is kind of like this. A thin sense of meaning is going to focus on just kind of snippets. It's piecemeal. It's a piece here and there. Whereas the fix is going to be the whole story, the whole piece. You can imagine watching, uh, watching the trailer and saying you had the experience of a movie versus watching the, the entire story and being absorbed and engrossed in it. Thick versus thin. A thin sense of identity is going to be short-sighted. It has goals that are, that are right here. But, but God's, but, but the thick sense is, is a long view. It's something bigger that's being participated in. The goal is, is on down the road a ways. A thin sense is more about an individual. It, it's me. It's, 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 just, it's just me. But, but the thick is more about community. It's us together. A thin is solving a given problem just right here. But a thick solves a bigger problem even an ultimate problem. A thin is more about preferences, and a thick takes his things as given. This is not something I choose, it's just the way things are. Well, let's think about how uh, this might look for us as Christians. If we were to treat our identity as a shallow, thin sort of identity, what would that look like? And I think this is going to sound familiar if we think together about it. If we're grabbing just little snippets, what we're doing is we're taking verses from Scripture, ripping them from their context, and just hearing them as something to, to make us feel good or validated. Perhaps we, we have a desire for a short-term gain. I mean, if I just, uh, man, things are feeling kind of crazy right now. I'll get really serious about the Bible for a little bit until I feel a little better about myself, and then I'll, we'll just let it go by the wayside again. We would never do that. I'm sure none of us. That's a thin sense of identity. A thin reading of the Bible, a thin sense is going to look for me in the Bible. The Bible's all about me and what I'm getting and what God's doing for me. Versus a thick view that's going to say, no, the Bible is about God. It's about his glory. It's about what he's doing. And what a miracle that we get to be a part of that. The shallow, the thin, turns our Christianity on and off, depending on where we are. At church, we're full of prayers and amen brothers and things, and out of here, it's switch all the, the ways that we talk and the ways that we live. It can be turned on and turned off. But we love the Bible. Part of the reason we do is that the Bible gives us a thick sense of identity. It's not shaken. It's a, it's a massive story that God is telling with the history of the universe, and you and I are a part of it. It gives a long view, this view of thousands and thousands of years and even an eternity spent with God. It, it puts the center of our identity not on us, but on God, 
on what he's doing. It's a book about his people, his rule, his place. The Bible tells us about God's diagnosis of our problem and not merely ours. We don't just come to it to to feel a little bit better. Instead, God speaks to us. And will it make us feel better? Sometimes, yeah. It's a comfort. It's a balm. And sometimes it cuts. Sometimes it burns. That's what medicine does, right? You get a cut, you get a cleaner on it, it'll burn. Scripture does that too. If we read it, know it, we will begin to find that this is the only way to see life. It's not optional. I think of the words of Peter when Jesus asked him if he were going to leave him too, when others were leaving, and he said, where else are we going to go? There's nowhere to go. That's what a thick sense of identity gives us. A view of the world that just doesn't even make sense without God at the center of it. But that's a view of the world that allows us to understand the things that are going on around us. To see them through the lens of of what a sovereign, wise, and good God is doing. Even if we don't understand all the pieces and how they'll all fit together, we know that God will. He does. He will. You know, I think it's helpful for us to think about these sorts of identities being thinner or thicker uh, along a kind of a spectrum. And I think this is a good weekend for us to think about that because this is the kind of thing that, that always comes up at this time when we're thinking about it. You know, I have a bunch of these, uh, these pens. I don't even know who makes them. It says on point on it. I think that's what it is. I guess if you want to get down to it, I have to identify as the owner of one of these pens. If it dropped on the floor and someone said, hey, is this yours? I'd have to say, yeah. But I'm not committed to the brand. I don't care. I'll buy any pen. Does it write? Okay, I'll take it. I have an identity as an owner of this pen, but it's a very thin identity. I'm not really worried about it. Now, if you want to get a little thicker, uh, I am also the owner of an iPhone, right? Now, I, I will have an opinion on whether an iPhone is better than an Android. I do have an opinion about that. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't actually feel like that's all that important. I identify as an iPhone user, but if I had to use an Android... I could, it would be fine. We can move down the line from thinner identities becoming more and more thick, you see? I now have an opinion. But when we get along the the, the way to, say, as a citizen of the United States of America, I'm getting thicker. I, I do care about what's happening to our country. In fact, God is calling me to be a good neighbor to those who are around me. How can I be loving How can I demonstrate a concern for those who who live in community and are connected together with me? I do care about that. It's it's a long-term goal. When you're talking about countries, you aren't just talking, hopefully, about short periods of time. You're talking about hundreds of years, of generations, of being able to preserve things that are good and last, of being able to love others despite differences. That's a thicker sense of identity than me being an iPhone user, although for some of you, maybe, I don't know. But I hope you see where this goes. If we're looking for what's the thickest kind of identity that we could have, 
What's the community that we have to have? What's, what, is the, what are the words that I must hear for life to be able to make sense? I could give up all of the other identities, but this one, what God says about me, what God declared as true about me when in a spiritual way I was put to death and raised to life by trusting in Christ. You and I must nurture a thick identity in Christ. That's our application. Nurture a thick identity in Christ. We love the Bible because it gives us that, just as it did for for these believers, declaring that they were chosen, they were loved, they were rescued. That's you and I too. And that identity beats all of the others. That's the perspective we have to learn to keep, learn to live in. Finally, this morning, from this passage and these final verses together, so in verse 40, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well for you and for your children after you, and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. The voice from the fire gives a mission. The voice from the fire gives a mission. The so there in verse 40, really emphasizing, that's a therefore, that's a summation statement. All of the things that he said about who they are, about who God is, knowing him, trusting him, understanding your identity in him, all finds its fulfillment in therefore go. Therefore, live like this. They're going to take the land, but they need to hear God's word. They need to keep his words, and they cannot forget that. They cannot not hear that. They're given this entire list of things that they need to do, they have to follow. And what an incredible thing it is that even today, all of these years later, there are neighbors around us who are still trusting in God like this, still trying to keep the law of God. The Jewish faith is centered around these these books, these declarations. The identity that God, that Moses declared here is they're trying to live on in a way, trying to obey, trying to keep, trying to keep up with it. But what we found is what we were already told here in Deuteronomy. You will serve other gods. You will fail. You will sin. The miracle of it all, of course, we know because we say it week after week, but may it never grow old for us, is that Jesus kept the law we couldn't keep. The Bible is a remarkable book, in part because it speaks in one voice, but with so many other voices. It's across the spectrum of different sorts of voices. We can hear and hear the voices of slaves, of exiles, of kings, members of the king's courts, backcountry shepherds, fishermen, tent makers, 
imperial citizens, prisoners, outcasts, and over a 1,500-year period on three different continents, all of these different voices, all of these different perspectives, but speaking together in one voice, declaring to us. I love how sometimes the, the voices almost appear to be contradicting one another. Like, for instance, a passage like this in Deuteronomy that's saying, it may well, it, do this, I'm giving you this law, do it so it may go well for you. This is how you have to live. Then you have an entire book like the book of Proverbs, which lays out, here's what you need to do and you'll be blessed. Live like this, live like this, live like this. And you're like, okay, I got this. I do the right things, this is how I live. And then you get to Job and you find out, well, hold on a second. This is a guy who did all the right things. So he's supposed to be blessed, right? Well, wait a second. It's not quite the way that we thought it all worked. And you might be tempted to say, oh, it's contradicting and throw it. No. Pause. Stop and listen to what that means. It means that your first reading of a passage like this, do this and live, is a call to do this and live. But it's saying, hold on a second. There's more going on. In God's plan, sometimes the righteous do suffer. And when they do, there's always more going on than meets the eye. And that sets the stage for us. If we continue to read the Bible, for one who was perfectly righteous, who did suffer, who did even die, but there was more going on than meets the eye. It was the very work of God satisfying wrath, satisfying the law, so that all that who are united to Christ may live. We find our hope in this message because God is declaring what he's doing in the world. That is what we need to see. Maybe, just maybe, you're still not convinced that this Bible is better. Maybe you still say, yeah, 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 that all sounds good. But I'm telling you, if God would just come down, do a big lightning storm, speak the voice from the heavens, and tell me, then I'd be convinced. And I want to suggest to you that the Bible says that that's probably not what would happen. We might agree, we might go for it, run for a minute, but these people, they heard the voice of God and they still complained about the diet they were eating, right? They didn't listen. I was struck in my, my uh, personal reading in Exodus the other day where God specifically gives instructions to the Israelites and he says, uh, you know, I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you manna every day. So go out in the morning and collect it. But on the day before the Sabbath, collect extra because there won't be any for you to collect that day. And I love how it makes a point of saying, and on the Sabbath, some people went out anyway, looking for the manna. Come on, guys. He gave you specific instructions. This is what you're supposed to do. That's what you and I do. We go out anyway. We're wandering around. God told us. And even if it was a voice from the clouds, we'd still do it. So what do we have? What makes this difference? Well, for one thing, we have the completed work of Jesus. 
That makes this different. We don't see just the pieces. The Old Testament, uh, some have said, like, a, like an unlit room where you can only have pieces and feel things. But instead, we have the room illuminated where you can see all of the pieces and how they're interconnected. That's what the New Testament does to the Old. We see Jesus. We have his work finished and completed for us so that we know that this keeping of the law is something that we aren't capable of. Jesus did it, and that transforms our lives and our hearts. The second reason, the second way that we know this is more powerful is that not only has Jesus completed this work, but when he did it, after he left, he sent his spirit to live inside of you, to cause you who were dead to be made alive. And now when you read this, you have a hunger for it, a desire that you never would have had before to hear the words of God. God's spirit is inside of you if you know Jesus in a way that it was not for these people. And finally, right along with that, there is a change of heart. We see that Ezekiel was looking forward to a time when hearts of stone would be turned into hearts of flesh. And Jesus tells us in John 3 that that is something that has already happened. That as he comes, his spirit is inside of us, regenerating, renewing, causing us to have a new heart, new desires, new affections. That's God's work. And so may we work together to see Jesus and be fueled for his mission. Find our fuel in Christ for the work that we need to do. I hope that we've been able to at least start off on the right foot this morning. For us to consider together this voice from the fire and think together about how much more it is for us now. I hope that we've seen that the Bible is not something that we worship. We worship God. But God, this voice from the fire, the voice that created everything, speaks to us as often as we would open it up and hear. It may seem like the thunder and the lightning show, the fireworks, the earthquake would be better. But we have right now Every word that God declared that we needed. We can open it as often. We can be with him and hear his voice. And may we do that as a church together this month and always. Let's not neglect his word. Let's hear the voice from the fire. Let's pray.